In Christ, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. You might notice in your bulletin that it's not my name listed as the preacher this morning. It's a typographical holdover from last week. Sorry to disappoint. We're very glad to have Father Esau with us the uh, uh, last couple of weeks here to serve while I was away, and hope he'll be uh, here serving with us again soon. But it's just Arcadia up here today. And it's actually been a while since I've been here at All Souls, doing a fair amount of traveling the last few uh, weeks. I think I calculated in the last four weeks I was in the state for six days. Um, most recently, my family and I were in North Dakota visiting my wife's family. Uh, before that, my kids and I were in California visiting my family. And before that, we were in Tennessee um, visiting the Great Smoky Mountains. I'd never been to Tennessee, and this was probably one of my first times in the actual South. Um, and it, one thing I, I appreciate about the Southern approach to the English language is that they have a, a bona fide word for the second person plural. I think y'all is a great word that helpfully expresses in English the second person when referring to more than one individual. I'm fine with you being used for the singular and the plural, or maybe you want to say you all, or you guys, or you dudes, like I might say from California. But y'all is succinct, it's easy to say, and, and helps at times to avoid some of the tendencies towards individualism that we Americans are prone to. This can especially be the case when we are looking at the New Testament. Greek, the language the New Testament was written in, has both a second person singular and a second person plural. But because standard English does not have two words for this, translators use you to express the singular and the plural. At least I've never seen a Southern Bible that has y'alls in it. Maybe that should be written. But I think this word is helpful, and especially so as we turn to look at Ephesians 2 this morning. Uh, this summer, our, our sermons are focusing on our epistle readings from Paul and, and the theme of community. And so I'd like to think with you today about what Paul has to say in Ephesians 2, which you have in your bulletins or, of course, in your pew Bible if you want to follow along. And what I think we'll see from this passage is that y'all are an actual dwelling place for God, a real live temple for the living God. But that all y'all, to be really Southern, are part of this temple together. What affects one part affects us all. So we ought to conduct ourselves with contrition and with humility. That is to say, all Christians are part of God's temple. So let us be contrite and humble with one another. Father Esau last week uh, set the scene a bit for Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. He reminded us that the Christians at this time found themselves uh, persecuted from like two directions. One, from Jews for being bad Jews, and two, from Greeks for being bad pagans. And Paul's reminder to these Christians is that they are loved by God, that they're chosen by God to be in Christ, and that they were raised up with Christ and are even seated at the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. However, our reading this morning reminds us that these Christians face not just external pressures from the surrounding cultures, but even internal ones, as Christians from different backgrounds, Jews and non-Jews, found themselves joined together in this one entity. This was a great tension in the early church in the first few decades after Christ's ascension. 
The Jews were God's chosen people. The Jews were those to whom Christ had initially come. And yet all of a sudden, these Gentiles were embracing the truth about the Jewish Messiah, and, and their lives were being changed. How then were these two groups of people, Jews and non-Jews, supposed to interact? How are they supposed to be joined together in this seemingly new thing that God was doing in the world? I think these are some of the questions that St. Paul is turning to address in this section here in Ephesians. And he opens up in verse 11 by, by acknowledging that the Gentile Christians had, at times, been treated with derision. They were being, they were being reminded that they were non-Jews. And yet, in verse 12, Paul doesn't just like dismiss this observation. He actually kind of doubles down on it. These non-Jew Christians were at one time without Christ. And look at the repetition with which Paul drives home this point. The Gentiles were outsiders without Christ. They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They were strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. It seems in no uncertain terms does Paul describe the non-Jews as being outsiders to the people of God. But then verse, three, verse 13, uh, Paul like, flips the script. Uh, all that might have been true, but now, but now these non-Jews, these Gentiles, are in Christ. Now they've been brought near by the work of Christ. Instead of being far from God, alienated from God, they have been incorporated into the people of God. In, in a sense, these Gentiles were spiritual immigrants who had now come into the promised land of the kingdom of God. And Paul's telling these Gentile Christians that they can be and they can act like full-fledged citizens, not just outsiders. And he's telling the Jewish Christians, too, that they can't treat the Gentiles like outsiders. They aren't aliens anymore. They are all one people. There isn't an apt division in Christ between Jew and Gentile. Like Paul says in Galatians, in Christ there's no longer Jew nor Greek. There are no longer these ethnic or religious divisions between these groups. Under the banner of Christ, both these groups have been made one. And I think keeping this group perspective in mind is helpful as we get further on to verse 19. And, and here we come back to the need for the second person plural. Because when we, or at least myself, uh, who have individualistic tendencies, come across you in the New Testament, I, for one, have a hard time not thinking that Paul or Peter or Jesus or whoever was talking about me. Like, just me alone, me in isolation from others. I could easily look at verse 19 and think, oh, how cool am I? I'm not a stranger. I'm not an alien. I'm not a citizen. I'm a dwelling place for God. But that isn't exactly what Paul says here in the letter. It's not me in isolation that these descriptions apply. Whether Paul is using the second person plural here. Y'all are no longer strangers and aliens. Y'all are fellow citizens. Y'all are being built together into a dwelling place for God. It wasn't just the individual Gentile Christian or the individual Jewish Christian. It wasn't even the group of Gentiles or the group of Jewish Christians. It was all y'all in Christ who are now this people of God. So Paul instructs these groups of Christians that they are, they are joined into one people. They are both in Christ. And moreover, the, the Gentiles who were at one time even outside the people of God, without hope even, have now been joined in Christ to the life-giving presence of God. 
But the idea here isn't just unity for unity's sake. I find it really fascinating that Paul talks about this unity, the unity of all y'all Christians, as actually creating a holy temple, a dwelling place for God. Now, maybe this is just because I'm kind of on a divine presence kick lately, but it's, this is striking to me. Paul isn't just saying, hey, it's a good idea if y'all see yourselves as joined together in one group. Paul is saying that y'all Christians are joined together into a dwelling place for God. Now, I followed the broad Christian tradition in holding that, that God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. There's no place in the universe where God is not. But at times, scripture talks about God dwelling or living somewhere in particular. We can see this in discussions of the temple or the tabernacle, or, or this comes up related to God uh, dwelling in heaven. But what I tend to think then is that God is indeed everywhere, but that there can be a certain kind of concentration of God's presence at certain times and in certain places. Think here of the pillar of fire or the pillar of smoke that the Israelites followed in the wilderness. Or think of Moses' encounter with God in the unburnt bush. God was there in a more intense manner than other locations, even as God is still everywhere. And if this is the case, then perhaps Paul is talking about a sense in which God is intensely in the midst of Christians when they are joined together. Paul here seems to describe a unique presence of God in y'all, an intensification of God's presence in us all as a community of citizens who are members of the household of God, to use his words. And this is to the point that we become a holy temple for God. I wonder if we can push that image even a little bit. Can you imagine this holy temple that is all the people of God? Even as Paul imagines it, the foundation, the first stones are the apostles and the prophets. There's the John stone, there's the Paul stone, there's the Peter stone, and there's Jesus Christ himself, the cornerstone, the chief stone of this temple structure. But then, too, on the next layers are a bunch of stones from the church in Ephesus, and on the next layer there's bunches of stones from the churches in Rome and Corinth and Galatia. And as we broaden our view of this whole structure, we see clusters of stones from other locations, clusters from the church at Canterbury or the church here in the United States, or over in some corner, perhaps a bunch of stones of souls, as we here at All Souls are being built into this holy temple. It isn't just me individually who's a dwelling place for God. And it isn't even as though all souls is its own temple. Rather, we are incorporated into this massive edifice that is composed of all Christians in all places at all times, uh, across time, across space, cross-culturally and cross-chronologically. We find that the y'all Paul is using is a universal y'all. Y'all Christians are being joined together and built into Christ, the holy temple. And I think this has profound implications for how then we view one another. One another here in our little segment of the temple and one another with respect to other regions of the temple. For with this all-inclusive all-y'all, we're not able to operate or think individualistically. We who are followers of Christ are all joined into this one holy temple. And so what goes on in one segment of the church affects us all. 
We can't glance over with like a smug sense of superiority at some segment of the temple, as I might be tempted to do sometimes. We can't say, oh, I'm, I'm glad I'm not one of those Southern Baptist stones, or I'm glad I'm not like the Roman Catholic stones, or I'm glad I'm not like those across the marsh, those stones over there. That's foolish. It's, it's as foolish as the floor looking at the roof and saying, I'm sure I'm glad I'm not leaking. We're all part of the same temple, and so what affects one part of the structure affects us all. If you're up to speed on your Anglican social media, you might, you might know that the, the Church of the Resurrection, just down the prairie path from us, and its diocese, the Anglican Diocese of the Upper Midwest, has had a tumultuous couple of weeks as revelations of potential mismanagement of alleged cases of abuse in their diocese have come to light. Their bishop has taken a leave of absence and the national church is stepping in to investigate the situation. But that doesn't just affect them, it affects us also. We're all part of the same temple. We're only a temple stones throw away from them. And I think we're foolish to think we aren't affected in some way as well. I don't totally know how to engage in the situation. I personally just emailed everyone I knew at the Church of the Res and said I was sorry and praying for them. But I do hope that all souls will be able to speak from our own experience of an investigation and its handling so that our national church is better able to put in place processes and procedures to care for all those involved in these investigations, for we all are together in one temple. And I think a key to avoiding this sense of superiority that leads to an isolated focus comes from our reading from Isaiah, and I'll end with this observation. Isaiah 57:15 also describes a dwelling place of God. Here the prophet speaks for God as God says, I dwell in the high and holy place with those who are contrite and humble in spirit. How do we avoid an individualistic perspective? Through a contrite and humble spirit. This is the hallmark of a dwelling place for God. We are not isolated from one another. Y'all are in this together. So I urge us, as we continue to work to draw close to one another, let us do so with contrition and with humility. Whether this is in relation to our own community, or in relationship to other Anglicans, or in relationship to all other Christians, let us come together with humble spirits as we, in Christ, become a dwelling place for God. Amen.